Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. As the team physician for the Washington Nationals and the Washington Redskins, Dr. Robin West knows what good teamwork looks like, and not just on the field of play. To make sure that Nationals and Redskins players return from injury and avoid it in the first place, West constantly collaborates with other members of the healthcare team, including physical therapists, athletic trainers, surgeons, and more. The idea of teamwork within team sports is something we take for granted. But a team approach to healthcare is a concept that many of us are just beginning to understand. In this episode of Move Forward Radio, Wes describes her own experiences with collaborative care, both as a provider and as a patient. She also gives tips for how patients should navigate their journey through healthcare's increasingly collaborative environment. Here now is our conversation with Dr. Robin West. So you're an orthopedic surgeon, you're chairman of sports medicine in ANOVA, you're also the lead team physician for the Washington Nationals and the Washington Redskins. And when I look at that, I look at that and I think, man, that sounds like a lot of jobs for one person. And so what I want to know is on your end, is that the way it feels to you or do all those things feel like part of some whole other thing? Yeah, Jason, it does sound like a lot of uh, a lot of things. But it actually, they, they all really blend together for me, you know, as, as an orthopedic surgeon and, and sports medicine doc, I that, that's what I do. I take care of patients of all ages and abilities. So taking care of the Redskins and the Nationals fits perfectly into my practice. And so on a weekly basis for you, what, what does that mean? What do all those roles mean? What are you doing? How are you spending your time? Well, it, it depends on the time of season. If I have overlap between the seasons, then I'm, I'm very busy, obviously, in that August-September time frame. On a general basis, um, basically during the football seasons, uh, I spend about two half days each week in the training room uh, evaluating the athletes, and then the weekends at the game. And so if we have an away game, we'll leave one or two days before game time. But on the home game, I'll just show up uh, to the game, to the home game. Typically arrive uh, to the stadium about three hours beforehand, before kickoff, and then we stay for about an hour afterwards evaluating the players. For the Nationals, when they're doing a home stand or they have home games, we're, we're there every day. Uh, luckily, I have some great partners, and we split up the games. And so we have to arrive about an hour before game time, and then we usually stay for an hour afterwards. But again, during the home stand, we're available every day, and we're almost there every day uh, at the games. So when you talk about the we that's involved in that, how many people are, are involved in those teams? Let's just focus on, the, say, the Washington Nationals since baseball season's coming up. How many people are involved in, in when a player gets hurt evaluating that player? I have two other partners. So there are three orthopedic surgeons, and so we split the games with the Nationals. With the Redskins, I have to be at every game. But, again, the we, the teams are huge. <laughs> if you look at on game day um, at, at a NFL football game, you know, we'd look at on the field, we have about 29 medical professionals, and that's athletic trainers, physical therapists, chiropractors, neurosurgeons, primary care docs, emergency room physicians. So it's a huge team of people. And then with the Washington Nationals, the same thing. So um, throughout the year, within the training room, we have athletic trainers, physical therapists, we have the chiropractor, um, we have our sports performance, our strength coach, um, we have a nutritionist. 
we've got the orthopedic surgeon. So it's a it's a big group of people working together. So let's like just to paint the picture a little bit. Let me go through a scenario. A, a baseball player is uh, rounding second, uh, hurts his knee. You know, twists fall, twists his knee, falls down, whatever. Has to leave the game. Um, what's the progression? I mean, how many people are huddled around this person all at once? Um, you know, what or, or is there a normal uh, kind of assembly line approach, or how does that all work? Yeah, that, that, that's different. So in football, obviously everyone goes out on the field. We have the athletic trainer, the orthopedic surgeon on the field. Um, but in baseball, it's different. The athletic trainer will go out on the field, and often the, you know, the, the manager is going to go out there also to check on the athlete. And then depending on the severity of the injury, if it's an injury and they can walk off the field, they'll walk off the field, and I'll see them in the dugout or in the athletic training room or in the clubhouse. If it's uh, a bad injury and they can't get off the field, then the paramedics will bring them off the field, um, and I'll evaluate them again in the dugout, clubhouse, wherever I need to. Are there any injuries that basically don't rise up to your level of observation that are just sort of like, ah, no, that's two small potatoes, I'm not going to look at that? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, again, and with both sports, it's different. So with baseball, it's a very long season, a lot of nagging injuries. So I, I see most of the injuries. And the little things in in football are the big things in baseball, I think. So, you know, a lot of these strains and contusions that the football players can play through, um, the baseball players can't because I think it's a little more finesse. And, again, the season's longer. So if they have something nagging them, they have to deal with that for almost a year. And so we have to be able to manage them. You made a comparison earlier sort of saying, yes, there's this team approach with the Nationals or the Redskins, but there's always this um, so many people involved in the team in a hospital, for example. Um, how close or different is the kind of treatment and, and sort of the healthcare experience that a professional athlete gets versus, say, what an everyday American gets? Yeah, it's really a team approach, and so I, I treat my, at least my patients, I try to treat them like, like the professional athletes. I think the biggest compliment I got was I remember a high school football player I took care of a few years ago said I treat him like a professional athlete, and that's why he likes coming to me. So I use a team approach for my everyday patients as well as our professional athletes. And so the, the care, you know, we, again, there's an urgency. So with the professional players, there's an urgency to get them back to play, right? They're paid to play. So... Um, we're managing them very quickly, and after their surgery, they're seeing a physical therapist that day. They're working immediately. Now, the everyday athlete, everyday patient, doesn't have the means often to get and to see a physical therapist within a day or two of their injury. We, we try and certainly set that up, and, and my goal is to have them all seen within three days of their surgery. But it's often it's dependent on the patient getting getting there, having their parents drive them, or having them drive themselves to the therapist the accessibility may be a little more difficult. And then obviously insurance plays a role in it as well. So clearly, you know, having a huge team is, is a little less valuable if it's not sort of working together. And, and late last year, physical therapist and ESPN analyst Stefania Bell interviewed you for a blog post that appeared on APTA.org, and it was really about collaborative care. And one of the things you talked about was the importance of communication amongst the medical team. And so collaborative care has been this kind of buzzword emerging in healthcare over the past several years. And I'm curious, is is it is the buzz catching up to what healthcare has been, or is collaborative care, truly collaborative care, has that changed significantly in recent years, and if so, how? Yeah, I think collaborative care has always played a role. I think it's easier to have collaborative care now just because of technology, right? So now we're able to text and email and call. And I remember 10, 15 years ago, you know, here I am playing, playing phone tag with a physical therapist and trying to reach someone. 
but here now I often get a text from someone. They'll send me a picture of their knee. Hey, send me a short video. Let me show you their performance. So I think it's technology that has made it easier um, for collaborative care. And so is that the biggest change then in the past few years is just how connected you are? Yeah, I think that is. I give every I try and give every patient my cell phone um, to pass on to their therapist or their athletic trainer if they're working in a high school. So at least I can stay in touch with them and, and see how they're progressing and make sure that they're rehabilitating after their injury. So that's obviously the, the healthcare side of, of the spectrum, but not too long ago you were on the patient side of the healthcare spectrum. Um, you had injuries in a bike accident, as I understand it. And I'm curious, how many members of that medical team, of that collaborative care team, did you encounter in your own recovery? Yeah, I was involved in a horrible bike accident. I sustained a concussion with a loss of consciousness for more than six minutes and had a four-part proximal humerus fracture. So I had a lot of injuries. And basically, I think my whole team connected, or I connected with them at some point because my trauma partner fixed my humerus fracture. I had a neuro, my neuropsychologist worked with me for the concussion side of it. And also on the sports psychology side, trying to you know regain the function and the and the mental strength. The physical therapists, I've multiple physical therapists I've worked with, and the whole OR team put me back together. So <laughs> it takes a village really to reach this maximum in performance. You know, I so I, I not only witnessed it, but I've always believed in it. So you've always believed in it, but what did you learn anything new going through the patient side of it? Did, did the part of it become maybe more valuable than you thought or, or different than you thought sort of being on the patient side? Yeah, you know, I think that listening to the patient really, I, I've always tried and listen to the patient, but now I, now I really understand when these patients come to me and they complain to me about, oh, the sling hurts or I can't sleep or um, th- those things are real problems. And when somebody can't sleep, it, it affects everything. And so I think it, from my side, it's really helped me to try and help my patients post-operatively um, on getting them a good night's sleep, getting them comfortable, making sure their bling or their brace fits them well. Um, so that's been my perspective after having been injured. So the great part about this collaborative care idea is, you know, everybody's working together. And, and of course, the downside, at least potentially, is is if one part of that machine sort of sort of isn't working together, it can cause a really negative experience for the patient. And, and I'm curious from that perspective, um, for for people out there who are going to deal with all these people in the healthcare system, and they may get the one out of the, the two or three or eight or however many people they're going to encounter who isn't helping them, who maybe isn't listening, who isn't meeting their needs, what's the patient's responsibility or, or what should they do to make sure that they get out of their experience what they need to? Well, the patients are, are, are the consumer, um, and so they really have to fight for their care, and they have to make sure that they're educated about their options. So if somebody's not happy with someone on my team, let's say, then I'd like them to come to me and to talk to me, and let's try and resolve that issue. If they're not happy with the team itself, then they need to make a change. And so I think people have to be advocates for themselves, and you know, unfortunately a lot of people have difficulty doing that because they aren't educated about their process or they don't have the financial means. But again, they are the consumers. We have to serve them <laughs> and serve them well. So they, they should fight for it the best that they can. If communication is so key to sort of getting the healthcare part of it right, you know, communication amongst the different members of the healthcare team and also communication with the patient, which is not just explaining things, but as you mentioned, listening, uh, are there things there too that the patients, the consumer can do to sort of help enable that communication, make sure that the right message is getting passed from one place to the other? 
I think keeping like a record or keeping some notes, I, I actually like it when patients come in with a, a little note and just saying, hey, this is what I've done or show me their progress or if they're on their pain medicine, this is what I've been doing, you know, weaning off of it. It's, it's helpful to have that and to bring that to each person so everybody's on the same page. I think that as a patient to be organized with that so they know what's going on as opposed to coming in here and saying, yeah, I'm doing something in therapy, I'm doing, yeah, I'm taking some medicine, I don't really remember the name of it. That that makes it hard for us as a team to work together. So the other thing I'm thinking about when I think about the differences between, say, what a Nationals or Redskins player experiences and what the everyday American might experience is, um, if, if I'm a player on the Nationals and the Redskins, I have a pretty good confidence that I'm getting the best health care available. And as you mentioned, there can be lots of barriers for Americans to getting sort of the, the best health care available, and they may not know all their options. And so that's a long setup to this question. What can patients look for to know if they're getting the care that they should be getting, to know if they're getting quality care? Are there things that they should be looking out for? Yeah, that, that, that is tricky. Um, you know, I think that they have to be willing to, to always seek a second opinion, first of all, because if you're having a big surgery, you should get two opinions. And if your surgeon or your physician or whatever is not comfortable with you asking questions or seeking another opinion, then, then something's wrong. So I think that patients should always educate themselves, whether it is, again, by getting a second opinion or educating themselves by reading more information about it online. There has to be an open dialogue, and their physician has to be willing to answer their, their questions. If they don't feel like they're improving, then they should seek additional care. Maybe they aren't getting the most appropriate care. You know, I always hope to see continued improvement in the patients, and if patients aren't improving, I have to think about what am I doing wrong? Am I not thinking about their injury correctly? You talked about getting a second opinion. Can that can that even be simplified sometimes from getting a second option from your first opinion? In other words, should consumers feel comfortable when they get sort of the, you know, let's say they, they come and see you and you recommend surgery, should they feel comfortable even just challenging you on the idea and saying, well, if I didn't do that, what should my other options be? Yeah, no, I definitely think so. I, I think I always like to give people multiple options. I mean, obviously some surgeries are emergent if we're taking trauma call or something, but for the most part, I'm, I'm seeing patients who can try the non-operative approach or the operative approach, and I can give them the risks and benefits of each. Um, and then I can make a recommendation, and often patients will say, what would you do if you, if I was your daughter or you were my mom or whatever? So those are certainly things that patients can ask. And so on that note, you know, you like to give your patients options, and, and let's stick with discussing surgery. The, the technology has become so much better. Um, surgeries are safer, more effective, less expensive, all those good things. Um, of course, as we've seen, say, with the prescription drugs, sometimes when things become cheaper or easier, it becomes easier to fall into this trap of like, oh, it's a quick fix. I can just do this. It'll be easy. You know, my recovery will be simple. Uh, is that mentality, that kind of quick fix mentality, whether we're talking about drugs or surgery or whatever, is that potentially dangerous and are consumers maybe not maybe buying into that a little bit too much, maybe at the expense of some other things? I think so. I get that question asked a lot. It's an interesting question. I can tell you, I get a handful of patients, you know, who come in, parents who come in, they're little league baseball players or for their sons, and they ask me to do a Tommy John surgery on their son to make his elbow stronger. And so that that's actually a very common question I get. But really, you have to exhaust all non-operative options, and patients have to understand that surgery has substantial risks. It's not going to always make you better and stronger, right? We're trying to restore your function. We're not trying to improve your function with surgery. So 
we have to reiterate that, but again, I think America is in this quick fix. What can we do quickly? But it's not always the right answer. How much has surgery improved, though, in the past years? You mentioned Tommy John surgery. I mean, that's the quintessential example in sports of the thing that was sort of the the dreaded career-ending surgery, and now is just, I mean, it's it's commonplace, uh, for better or worse. How much has surgery improved? Yeah, surgery's improved significantly. I mean, you look at the, the return to play after Tommy John surgery is high, 85 90%. And so same thing with ACL reconstruction. These surgery outcomes have improved significantly. But, again, I, I think surgery hasn't really changed, but it's, it's a rehabilitation technique. We understand now biology better, so we understand the healing of the grafts. We understand the healing of the wounds. And then we can also work on the performance side with the physical therapist or sports performance, whatever we're we're doing. So I think it's a combination. It's that team approach that has improved the outcomes. So on that note, I mean, somebody who gets Tommy John surgery today, if, if the surgery is more or less the same as it was before, to the degree that you can articulate it, what is different now about the rehab experience or even the prehab experience for somebody who's going to have Tommy John surgery? And I think for any surgery as well as Tommy John surgery, you know, the, the goal is to get the function back quicker. So after all surgeries, we used to immobilize people for so long after an Achilles tendon repair or ACL reconstruction, Tommy John surgery, we're putting them in a brace or a splint or a cast and immobilizing them to, quote, let the graft heal and then move them on. But now we understand that actually function, returning their function early on, getting that mobility and strength back with other modalities really improves the function and gets that function back quicker. So we'll end with two things. As you look at how healthcare is changing, Give me first, what's the thing that you're most excited about? What's the thing that's that's coming along maybe the fastest, the best, that, that gives you the most hope about continuing to improve care? Oh, I mean, I think that, you know, there's so much thing, so many things on the horizon with biologics and um, cartilage restoration. And so I'm, I'm always excited about all the new research being done and looking at, at that. So I'm, I'm super excited about where, where are we going on the scientific side of recovery and, and surgical options and how can we continue to improve these outcomes for some pretty bad problems. And then on the flip side, what's the one thing that you look at right now that's the glaring problem that you wish you could address in the healthcare system if you could fix it tomorrow? I think that, you know, having one electronic medical record system, I know it's been part of the Healthcare Act and trying to make changes that we're all on EMRs or electronic medical records, but the problem is we all have different ones. <laughs> Nobody's on the same one. And if we could all be on the same electronic medical record, it makes it so much easier. I saw a patient today who had seen multiple physicians already, had had surgery, and is coming in now with nothing, has no notes, no records, no MRI. So I don't even know what was done, but it would be so helpful and save this patient so much more time if I could have that right on hand. And I think that goes back to that whole idea, too, of, of patients bringing things with them, right? Because, again, as patients, so many people are trusting that, well, the system has it. You know, you guys have all the information, but that's probably a stark reminder that, that we need to keep that information as patients as well. Yes, very true. So um, to close out here, you know, you're, you're approaching a, the, the baseball season and, and obviously going to be involved with that. Um, how much, to, to give people a sense of it, on an average night, how many injuries are you dealing with and, and uh, how many nights a week are you sort of receiving those texts, receiving those calls, looking at those images, trying to get players <laughs> along to health? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm on, on call 24-7 uh, for, for the team. So I, I would say on average I'm getting a couple emails a day with uh, or text messages uh, with injuries, MRIs to review, and then again during the season it gets busier. So 
you know, baseball season, again, it's, it's a longer season. We're dealing with a lot of chronic issues. So I'm evaluating a few guys each night, but they often have chronic issues that we've been dealing with, um, even through spring training. Football, you know, we're getting anywhere from three to eight injuries or something for each game, and they're often big injuries and acute injuries. So uh, what's the secret then for the medical side to making it through the long baseball season? <laughs> uh, stay on top of these injuries. You know, I, I always tell the guys, come to me when it first starts bothering you. Don't come to me later because if you come to me later, it's almost too late then. So I think from the medical side, if we can stay on top of the injuries, which is what our whole team approach with the Washington Nationals is, is really this preventative care. And if we can do that, then the season hopefully is a healthy and, and good one. Good advice for baseball and everywhere. Dr. Robin West, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guest is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com radio.